I'm not sure how much detail John got into when he was with us. John Arnott was with us uh, a few weeks ago, and um, I thought he shared some things, but then I was told that, no, he didn't share just that. But I'll just kind of, I want to fill us in a little bit on uh, where we are in the day and age prophetically, and I want to tie it and connect it to our Christmas story because I feel like the celebration of the first coming of Christ is really key to understand the celebration and anticipation of what God wants to do in the land today and in days to come, okay? Um, so for those of you who don't know, we're Catch the Fire Winnipeg, and, and the, the name Catch the Fire isn't just a, a name, like it's, it's actually not a, you know, it's, it's, an, it's a name that sometimes when you read it or hear it, you think, wow, that's kind of interesting. It, aren't you like the first Baptist church of Winnipeg or this or that? No, 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 we're Catch the Fire, and it's like, what are you talking about? Interestingly enough, when uh, those of you who uh, um, no, don't know them, there's a couple of family, uh, Tammy and Jerry Schroeder, and they're now down back in Paraguay. But they came up from Paraguay and moved to Canada. This is several years ago. They moved to Canada, and she was she Googled. She wanted to know. She wanted a church to go to, and so she Googled uh, fire or catching fire or something like that. It was, there was some things she Googled and then catch the fire popped up. And we, we just started, uh, at that time, we hadn't been going publicly very long and they came into the meeting one morning and this is really cool. I can't remember who had it. That really doesn't matter. But a word of knowledge came out about somebody that has a problem with their glands their and, uh, their oldest son, Diego, was born with a condition that um, he had problems with his glands, and so they were always sore and swollen, and medically they couldn't do anything to correct it. But that morning, which is either their first or second morning with us, they um, uh, called out the word of knowledge, and he responded. Somebody prayed for him, and from that day till now and on to the future, he's never had an issue with his, with his glands. He was radically healed in that moment. And so, yeah, come on. And so when, when that happened, they, they realized they found, like, home, you know. And so it's funny because I was thinking about that story and the name Catch the Fire and how they came to Catch the Fire. And I like the name because it, it makes people ask questions, you know. I took Carter for a haircut one, one afternoon, and we went into this little this hair salon. We'd never been there before. And there was a lady there that recognized me. I didn't recognize her, but she recognized me, and she said she just announced almost to the entire salon. And I was like, okay. And Carter was like, dad, dad, come on, you know. And she announced the, the, the entire salon well, loud enough. I mean, she was talking to the hairdresser that was cutting, that was cutting. That was cutting, uh, that was just for the picture, I don't know. Anyway, that was cutting Carter's hair, and uh, she goes, um, this is the pastor from Catch, I think she said Catching Fire, Catching Fire Winnipeg, and the reason they call it Catch the Fire is because it's all about the fire of the Holy Ghost, and she starts going off like this, and I'm like, okay, all right, you know. Anyway, but Catch the Fire was, was started uh, and we had the founders of, or the founder of Catch the Fire, one of the founders, John was here with us a few weeks ago, but it started birthed in a move of God, a move of God's spirit. And I'm blown away by how many people I meet today that were completely unaware of what God started on January 20th, 1994. 
I, I'm, I'm blown away by it. Like, it's, it's, it's mind-blowing that you go places, and, and some people are just oblivious to what happened. But for those of you who don't know, what happened was God crashed in on, an, on a group of people, and there's a, there's, there, was a, there was a bunch of things that kind of led up to it. Um, one of the things that led up to it were they had a lot of prophetic words about what God wanted to do and what God was going to do. And the words that were given, I remember the one word that at that time, John and Carol, you know, hadn't been uh, preaching to thousands and thousands of leaders, and they weren't in, that wasn't their flow. It was pretty small, pretty low-key and whatnot, although they were phenomenal leaders. And they, that Carol, they had this prophecy that, that um, they were going to be preaching and equipping and teaching and impacting thousands and thousands of, of leaders all over the world. And so it was interesting, it was like, when they heard that, when they heard that prophecy, they, I, I remember they looked at each other, they told me this, they looked at each other and said, really, like, this is really going to happen, like, what? And so there was this thought in their head that they, they were questioning, in a sense, the legitimacy of this word, but they, but they held on to it, and they actually believed God would do something. And so, anyway, so, the, so this word came, and then another word came about nations coming to their church and, and uh, being touched by God and then going out all over the place. And so that was, that, it will be 25 years coming up here in, in like a month uh, or so. And so, since then until now, count, well, not countless, but millions upon millions, I think they had something like 4 million people visit their church and be touched by God, and then went back to their communities and whatever, and they would see tremendous things start to break out and happen. Back in the day, they never had, uh, they never had Wi-Fi well, was just coming into play. They didn't have email yet. It was just starting to kind of function. The internet hadn't even been developed yet. And so what they would do is they would take videos, they would video the services, and they would take videotapes, and they had somebody that would work every night. They had a meeting, a revival service, revival meeting, and more and more and more people started coming to the church to experience God and what he was doing there. And so they had people that would do, uh, I forget, it was something like 300, in a night they could reproduce 300 copies of these VHS tapes, you know. And then, then those things went, they, people would mail them out around the world, and people would watch the tape, and what was happening in the meeting, some people getting healed, people just getting touched by God, you know, all that kind of stuff, that was going on. Then, then when they were watching it on their TV, that would start happening in their life where they were there. So it's crazy how this thing was transferable. One of the funniest stories was they used to send out faxes. I know many people, we don't use faxes so much anymore, but they would send out a fax. So John would get on the phone and he, you know, he makes the joke. It was the, the phone that was connected to the wall, you know, those kind of phones. And he would talk on the phone to different friends and say, hey, God's doing something here. You should come and check it out. I believe God's really doing something special. And so what happened was they would phone. In fact, they had faxes then. He started faxing people. And so the, this one particular time, he was faxing. I believe it was overseas, but he, he puts down here, uh, God is moving. You should come. And he faxed it to his friend. And when the fax came through on the other side, he picked it up and read it and was hit by the power of God and was out on the floor under the power of God. And God began to speak deeply to him. And so uh, I have a friend in Norway, and I, I've shared about him too, uh, and uh, he, he was so touched by it, and their family was, and he's a business guy, and so he, what he would do, he believed in it so much, and I'm talking about posturing your heart for what God wants to do, readying yourself for, for what God wants to do, 
And so what he did is um, he said, I want to make it my goal to get every Christian leader in Norway to Toronto to experience what God's doing. And so he invested, uh, it, it was somewhere around in the neighborhood of the equivalent of $2 million Canadian, where he would, he would fill entire airplanes with people, leaders and pastors, and, and, send, and, and send them, the, the, you know, you need to get to Toronto, you need to, God's doing something. And so he spent his money on, on, on sending leaders and pastors and church people over there, and, and they were touched. And then they come back, and then their churches began to flourish, and different things started happening. Norway is really ripe for a real second. I think there's lots of places that are ripe for a second wave, but I, I've got a, my heart on Norway. I've been there a few times, and uh, there'll be opportunity for whoever wants to go or feels they should go. We can go sometimes. So anyway, but here's the deal. There was, there was something that happened in the hearts of people that they would, they would say, I'm, so, I'm sold out to what God's doing. I'm completely sold out to what God's doing. But yet in many places in the earth, though, people never heard about it. Although now, after 25 years later, we have churches that were touched through Catch the Fire. We have uh, in 42 different nations in the world. Isn't that wild? 42 different countries have a church that was birthed in the move of God that, that, that was Catch the Fire. And we just happen to be one of them. So I, I like to remind us, we need to understand where we came from to get an idea about where God's taking us. And we need to understand, you see, we honor the past and we, we, we build on the past. And, and then we, with faith, we say, God, you did that there. What do you have next? And then, and then in the mix of all this, those of you who are part of our family here, We'll understand that we went from, you know, it was like we were believing for God to do things. Then we discovered that there was a real emphasis on that actually there is a move of God that's inside of me because God lives inside of me. And I'm in him and he's in me. We sang about it this morning. You know, it's in you that I live and I move and everything that I am is in you and, I, and you're in me. And so there's, in a sense, everyone here in this room right now is pregnant with God's promises to move. And so, but, but we get going through life, and I'm, I'm guilty of it too. You go through life, and sometimes that's not at the forefront. It's not like we don't always live every day with anticipation of what God wants to do, right? You know, you get caught up in things and whatnot. But, but um, one of the things that happened right in the middle of the, the kaboom when there are thousands and thousands of people coming to Toronto or going to Toronto to the meetings there and being touched, in the middle of all that, there was a prophecy that was given that this is nothing. And I'm thinking, this is nothing? And we're talking about, I mean, like, it was, like, extreme. I mean, like, lots of people, lots of people getting set free, lots of people getting healed, lots of people. And uh, this is kind of funny. They, they um, a lot of times the media would come. And so the media would come, and they would, they would always put them right near the front so they could take pictures and stuff of what was going on. And before that, when, the, when they knew some of the major press was coming, I, John would say, oh, Lord, like, can you just, we want a really good meeting, but not too wild tonight. And he said every time the media was on the front row, it would be wilder than wild. 
And uh, so Randy Clark was, one, was, was the, the guest speaker, and uh, Randy came up to Toronto, and he'd been touched in some meetings from Rodney Howard, in Rodney Howard Brown, and he came up to Toronto, and um, they asked him to stay for a few days and do some meetings, and so they started the meetings, and after a couple meetings, they said, well, could you stay a little longer? Could you stay a little longer? And so he said to John, he says, well, John, I've only got four messages. Isn't that funny? As a preacher, it's really funny, actually, when you think about it. You go somewhere prepared to, like, do a couple services, and you're, like, ready to go and stuff. But then they go and go and go and go. In fact, they kept going for 12 years, you know, every night of the week. And so, anyway, so as a, as a, as a, as a preacher. So there, there comes a point in time, though, where even as church leaders, we need to get past our, even our natural gifting and whatnot, and then really, really discover the bottomless things of God. That's where God wants us to live. I believe it. I believe he wants to take all of us into the bottomless things of God. He's got a bottomless nature. His mercies are new every morning. Well, if they're new every morning, they're not old. There's something to discover every day, right? And so, so anyway, so this went on. And, and um, in the middle of it, though, then they had these prophecies about how this was just the seed. This, this move of God was just the seed. And then the seed was going was gonna to grow into a plant, and then it was going to blow to all over the earth, okay? And so all these different seeds, and so there'd be places where God would just move powerfully over and over again. And if you look at many of the uh, major leaders in, in the revival movement today, uh, they would all trace their roots back to what God did in their lives personally in Toronto. So it's really, really amazing and, uh, and it's amazing that in the middle of that, when that was first started, I know uh, Randy had a fellow pastor in St. Louis that went to him and said, you know, why, why, are you, why would you be used in this move of God like this? And he says, I have, a, I have a bigger church than you. You just have a little church. I have a bigger church than you. I've got more education than you. I've got, I've got um, like, more influence than you. And so he was a little bit perturbed by it, you know. He's thinking, why would it, why would it be you? And and so Randy thought for a minute, and then he looked at him and he said, you know, he said, I guess it's because it's the foolish things to confound the wise. <laughs> and so anyway, I mean, their ministry's blown up and they, they've got a huge ministry globally now and stuff. But anyway, but my point is, in the middle of all that, there were a lot of other prophecies that came out. Um, Back, actually, even prior to that, there was, a, there was a prophecy that was given. Actually, one prophecy, I'll give you two. So one was uh, a guy by the name of Tommy Hicks. And I've shared this before, uh, Tommy Hicks and, and his end-time vision of what he saw, the Lord showed him. He was an evangelist. How many have heard of Tommy Hicks? How many have not heard of Tommy Hicks? Okay, I'll better briefly give this then, if that's okay. The story's great. Tommy Hicks was an evangelist. Back in the 40s and 50s, but especially in the 50s, he went to Argentina. The Lord spoke to him. He gave him a name by a word of knowledge. And he said, I want you to go and meet this guy in Argentina. And when you get there, he'll give you a stadium to have evangelistic meetings. And so he's on the airplane. He obediently, by faith, buys a plane ticket, flies to Argentina. And as he's flying into Argentina, he asks the flight attendant, he says, do you know so-and-so? I forget his name. And she looked at him, and she goes, well, yes, I know that guy. And she goes, oh, perfect. Would, would you be able to introduce me to him? Is there any way you can? And she laughed, like, mockingly. She said, that's the president of our country. 
So that was the name that he got. And so then he went there. And so what he did is he went up to the, to the um, uh, presidential, I don't know what they call it, the equivalent of the you know, Parliament Hill or the White House or whatever. He goes up there and he goes to the security guard and he says, uh, I'm here to see so-and-so. I'm here to see the president. And so he looks at him and he goes, well, do you have an appointment? He goes, no, I don't. But um, I'm supposed to be here. God told me to come and I would have a meeting with him and that he was going to give me the stadium for a great evangelistic outreach. <laughs> so the security guard says, he laughs mockingly again, laughs and says, well, there's no way that this will, you know, this is not going to happen. But at that moment in time, God graciously gave him a word of knowledge about a condition in this man's body to be healed from. And so he said to him, he said, well, can I pray for you for your condition? He names a condition. And so he says, just give me your hand. He reached out his hand and grabbed him by the hand at the little security kiosk at the gate there. And he grabbed his hand, spoke healing over his life. The power of God hit him. He went down under the power. And when he got up, he was completely healed. So that was really neat, wasn't it? So then, th then he leaves there, goes back to his hotel and prays some more, comes back the next day. And uh, the security guard then had gone on to tell the president of what happened to him at the gate. And what he told him, what, what, what he wasn't aware of, is that the president had a skin condition. It was like a psoriasis-type skin condition. And his skin was in such bad shape that he, he, he stopped doing public appearances because of his skin condition. And so he was out of the public eye for months. And so this happened. And so the security guard said, this is what happened to me you need to meet this guy because maybe something will happen to you. And so he goes in and he gets an appointment then because of this. He gets an appointment and he goes in and meets the president. And as soon as he touches his hands and, and speaks the healing word, his skin became like that of his youth. So needless to say, he gets the stadium and he, he, he has evangelistic meetings. No advertising, nothing, but they began to fill the stadium all because of the notable signs and wonders and miracles that were taking place. So people would come onto the property up to the stadium with crutches like this coming into the meeting on crutches and suddenly their body would be made whole. Without even, without even someone praying for them, there, it, was, it was God sovereignly birthing something. It was a move of God. So it was amazing. You can read about it online. So Tommy Hicks then went on, and he continued his evangelistic meetings. He grew in credibility, obviously. But one time, he had, the Lord gave him three times a vision kept, a dream or a vision kept reoccurring uh, in the early morning, the early, early uh, morning hours. And he, he had this vision of this giant that was asleep, and the giant was trying to get up, but it was, it was down, and it couldn't get up off the ground, and every time it would try to get up, all these little creatures, like demonic creatures, would like scurry around and stuff, but it was like, it was almost like Gulliver's Travels, how many have seen that or read that book, you know, and uh, you know, the lily puttins, those little, <laughs> anyway, and so he's, the, the giant is, and the Lord says, this is my body, this is my bride, this is my church, and uh, I'm going to raise her up in the last days, into a harvest. And so what happened was suddenly then this, this, this giant got up and it stood up and it reached up into the heavens and then it kind of melted down right into all the earth. And the Lord said, this is the end time move of God. There's going to be a massive harvest before my second coming. You celebrate my first coming, but I want you to focus on my second coming because I'm coming again for a glorious church, a bride without spot or wrinkle, full of vinegar and full of fire. I cut out part of that, you know, vinegar, you know, anyway, just, you know, like full, you know what I'm saying? And so that's what, that, so, so he has this vision. The cool thing about this was, though, 
I read this in 2004. I read it. The cool thing about it was he had that vision while he was in Winnipeg, Canada. Yeah. He was here in Winnipeg when he had this vision. So I'm, I'm you know, in this whole thing, uh, the reason we relocated back to Winnipeg um, was because we felt the Lord say, awaken the giant, that the church needed to be awakened, you know? And so that was a big thing. There's more to the story. I can't, don't have time to get all the details. But years after then, we moved back here in 2004, and years after, uh, a prophet came and called me out in a meeting here in Winnipeg. He called me out and he said, uh, God says, you've done well with the giant in Winnipeg, but now God wants to take you out and beyond in other places too, you know, like into other nations and other cities, and he named a few and that sort of thing. So we really feel that our, our um, we know that on our lives, we're here to somehow wake up a giant, you know. I do feel like the church needs waking up. But I, I share all that stuff because I, wanna, I want you to think, I want you to get your eyes off of just where you are right now and get them up and see, like Jesus said, look up and see because the harvest fields are white for harvest. The fields are white for harvest. So in, in this process too, it was back in the 80s, another prophet, Bob Jones, had a prophecy about this billion soul harvest that really lined up with what Tommy Hicks prophesied about. And uh, the, the, the prophecy was, that there would, be, uh, there would be a massive ingathering of souls into the kingdom before Christ's return. In that, it would take not just one ministry, but many, many ministries. Many ministries to, to, to be active and going. And so, as us as Catch the Fire, what you see here right now, uh, you know, on a Sunday morning, this is, this is not even a drop in the bucket to what I feel God wants and has for us. I, I, we're, we're here as a body that w I, I've signed up. I've signed us up for it, by the way. I've signed us up to be part of this harvest, okay? I've signed us up to say, yeah, Lord, we'll be a barn. We'll be a harvesting machine. We'll be an equipping center that would see people experience the kingdom of God, you know? And so, um, so with that, though, you know, it's like this. You get involved in ministry and you start trucking through things and then, you know, good things happen and then bad things happen and then good things happen and it's tough. But, but one of the other prophetic words that came along was this, that in the harvest, when the harvest is about to break out, leaders are going to be distracted and church people are going to be distracted by many, many things. Relational conflicts, like, like there'd be an onslaught against leadership. You can listen to uh, many of the generals of the faith today, and they're saying it all over the place, and some of the prophets, too, in the land are saying there's been an at attack against leadership and against churches and against unity and all this kind of stuff. And there's this, so when you hear a word like that, you're like, oh, really? Ouch. But then when you're actually living it, you're going, come on, Lord, there's a harvest on the other side. And so, so we know, we've, we've experienced the something, but you know what? Somebody said to me the other day, how are you doing? And I said, I think we're doing quite well. We've, we've, we've uh, you know, we've been processing things and we've been allowing the Lord to, you know, try to keep us healed up and spend some time with Claude and Yvonne and dealt with some things. And, and so, but, but the deal is, um, I, I don't want to be distracted by little stuff that is little in the eyes of God considering what he wants us to be involved in. But if we get focused on all these little things, what happens is we get our eyes off and we almost become numb to the prophetic word of what God wants to do. And so for, for us, 
I, I, I'm like, I want to I just, you know, beckon this call. I want to be a clarion to say, God is moving, but he's going to move. Okay? Like he's moving, but there's a move coming. And I don't think it's, I don't think it's at all uh, surprising that God would say, okay, you've been through a bit of stuff. It's been a little difficult in a season, but now I want to give you a barn to help house the harvest. Like a building. For those of you who don't know, we're actively looking for a building. Someone has stepped up and said, we want to provide for a building for you. So we're actively looking for a building now. And so I, I believe in the time, timing of God. We're grateful for that we can meet in here. That's great. But listen, what's going to happen when people start lining up and they, they, they need help, they need ministry? It's not just going to be me and Mel or some of the leaders. It's going to be like everyone, all hands on deck. It's going to be like, you know what? We, we don't have, so, so we want to raise up people, that's, that's exciting, that's good, but we want, in order to be raised up, people have to say, yes, I'm in, I, I'm believing with you, I'm, I'm going for it with you, you know? Yeah, so that's a bit of history and a little bit of uh, future, looking into the future a little bit. But I want to look, there's some keys here in the Christmas story that I believe are huge for birthing what God wants to do in this day and age. So if you pick it up in Luke chapter 2, it says here in verse uh, 27, well, verse 26, now in the sixth month after that, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a town of Galilee named Nazareth. Verse 27, to a girl never having been married, a virgin engaged to be married to a man whose name was Joseph, a descendant of the house of David. By the way, before we get into this, prior to this, there was some scholars say, uh, you know, 400, some say 300, some will just say, so let's just say this, three to 400 prophecies all through the Old Testament saying that the Messiah is coming. Isn't that wild? And so, and then in Matthew chapter 5, I think it's verse 18, it says that, that um, every jot and tittle of the law, like every little letter of the law, every little stroke of the pen will be fulfilled. Heaven and earth would pass away before that would, like, it's going to happen, and it's happening, and it has happened, and it continues to happen through us, but do you know what I'm saying? So in other words, when God says something, and he has a plan for something, and he has a purpose for something, and somebody says yes, says yes to it, it's going to happen. And so, so woo come on, <laughs> yeah, ha, it's going to happen, and so... So this is what's happening here. So up until, up until uh, Mary and Joseph in Luke chapter 2, there have been prophecy after prophecy after prophecy after prophecy. And all these little things were being fulfilled. And then all of a sudden this happens here. It says, to a girl have, who, having, having never been married and virgin of heart. Oh, that was my added addition. She was a virgin, but I, I let the cat out of the bag. Um, there are some keys here that we see. If we want to be involved in what God's doing and wants to do in these days. And the first thing is you need to be virgin of heart. I've shared this before, but you need to be virgin of heart. What do you mean by that? I mean, you need to live in a state of first love. It can't be like, oh, that's old. That's, I've done that. I've seen that. I've been there. Okay, that's good. No, there's got to be this thing, this, this first time, this first love, this virgin of heart. Like, I've never been married before. What's... I don't know, I've never been married before. And one of the things that will keep God's move alive in your life is if, as Bill Johnson says, remain novice. Children go through a phase. 
and I won't speak from experience with my own kids, but children go through a phase, and when you tell them something, they say, I know, I know, Dad, I know, Dad, I know, Dad, I know. And uh, I just want to say, as, as a body of believers, as a church, how about we say, I don't know, but I'm willing to learn. You know, how about, how about posture our hearts that, that we would just say, it's like the first time. Uh, and so, you know, I spent a lot of time with John, and you think about how many thousands of meetings they've been in, tens of thousands of meetings, millions of people, millions of lives touched. And in a meeting, doesn't matter if there's 50 people or 3,000 people, many times over, he'll just lean over and he'll say, oh, Trev, isn't this so amazing watching God move like this? And I'm going, man, like, it's fresh. And I believe, too, and they're modeling something, and we want to model this, too. We want to model this virgin of heart, that we would be just so passionately in love with Jesus. That, like, who told you the honeymoon had to end? Like, with, with God, your relationship with Jesus, who told you that the honeymoon had to end? See, okay, so some people say this, they're like, People are fired right up when they first get saved, and they're all excited and everything else, and they just say, I've heard it said before. Well, just give them some time. They'll, they'll, they'll calm down a little bit. Show me that in the Bible. Like, give me a verse for that. So I just say, so be it according to your faith. <laughs> like, like, honestly, you guys, there's a, you know, in Revelation, we see this whole thing about the first love and this church there where they say you've done all these good things and you've discerned what's good and what's bad and you've, you've sought out and you've, you've sniffed out and you've kicked out false apostles and false prophets and all this stuff. But he said, I've got this one charge against you. And if you don't repent, you're actually, I'm going to remove your candlestick. In other words, you're, you're well, it's just not good. And uh, he says, repent from the heights to which you've fallen. From the heights. And if you look at it, he's talking to the church of Ephesus. And the church was birthed in Acts chapter 19 in Ephesus. And it was birthed in a move of God. It was like shaking, rattling, rolling. It was like harvesting. It was miracles, signs, and wonders. It was, it was uh, uh, salvations. That was the birthing that they came out of. And when that was happening, they were like, wow, this is amazing. Yeah. And then as time went on, somewhere along the line, they got all their programs in place, and they got all their good things, and this is organized, and that's set up, and this is good, and that's good. But somewhere along the line, they lost the passion and the love for it, the first love, the love that you had at first. And so if we want to step into what God wants, he's, he's always going to be calling us back to our first love. He just is. Whew. And if you haven't experienced the first love, you know, you haven't had that moment where it's just like, oh, Jesus, I love you. Whew. And experience the overwhelming love of him back. You know, we love him because he first loved us. But if you've not experienced that, you can experience that. And that's a good start. And uh, that's a good start and a good finish. You can stay in that. <laughs> and so anyway, so it's, let's carry on because we don't have time to belabor this. But I'll, I'll have to talk more about this in the future. But it says there, to a girl who is a virgin, never been married before, the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Hail, O highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you before all other women. 
And so when, <laughs> verse 29, but when she saw him, she was greatly troubled and disturbed. She was freaked out. She was experiencing anxiety and panic. And, and um, she, she was confused at what he said, and it kept revolving in her mind, what does this mean? Like, what does this greeting mean? And so what's happening here is God is sending this messenger, Gabriel, to speak to her, to speak to the promise on her life, like to speak on the to speak on what she, you know, who she's pregnant with, but, I mean, she wasn't pregnant this time, but he starts to describe what was going to happen, right? But in that moment, he calls her by her name, and then he says, he adds something to her name. He's basically saying, your name is Eric, that's an earthly name, but I'm calling you blessed and highly favored among men. Take it. And this goes for all of us, you see, because God's plan for our lives and God's promise for our life is always greater than our earthly natural realm. Would you agree with that? So, so, but what happened was she was confused because when this promise came, it would be like this. It would be like, man, a billion soul harvest. I mean, a billion souls, a billion people, and it's going to come quickly and come hard and fast. That's why it's like, ready or not, here we come. That's why it's so important that, that we, when we get together and gather corporately, it's not just like, it's just another day. It's like, Father, this morning, sharpen me up more. I want to be a tool that's used for your harvest. Sharpen my edge, Lord. I want, a, I want a good edge for harvest. I don't want an edge that would cut people, but I want an edge that would bring harvest, you know? And so there's this, there's this thing that happens, and so the promise comes, and some of you, when you hear that thing, when you hear that, some of the prophetic words I've given this morning that have been shared by others, you're thinking, hmm, really? Like, do you really think that's going to happen? Do you really think that, like, really? And some of you are confused, almost like Mary was, right? But you see, he, he identifies her not just as who she is in the natural, but he sees beyond that. That's the beauty about the prophetic. That's the beauty about everything God. He always sees us where we are, but he always looks beyond where we are and said, I know you're in this right now, but this is where we're going if you choose to stay with me and connect with me, right? So we carry on reading, and he says, she kept re saying that over and over again, what does this mean? And then it says, the angel of the Lord said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor, grace with God. And listen, you will become pregnant and you'll give birth to a son and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be a great, he will be great. And he will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his forefather David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob throughout all ages. And of his reign, there will be no end. And then Mary said to the angel, well, how can this be since I've not had any intimacy? I've not had relations with a man with a husband how could that be and then it says this it says then the angel of the lord said to her the holy spirit somebody say holy spirit. holy spirit the holy spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you and so that the pure and holy sinless thing offspring which shall be born of you will be called the son of god and so there's something here that 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 happens well, I'll, I'll, I'll keep reading. And then he goes on. He says, and, and listen, he says, even your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son and is now in the sixth month with her who is called barren. That's a whole other message, but just enjoy that. And then this is it, verse 37. 
For with God, nothing is ever impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, I am the handmaiden of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to what you have said. And the angel left her. So there's this whole thing that's happening. So the first thing, if you're, if you're taking notes this morning, the first thing is you got to remain virgin of heart. you got to remain like first love. It's like my, my, it's like every time for the first time, you know? Yeah. It's like first, it's, it's so amazing. So second thing is this, and the second thing you see something happening here. The angel addresses her, and he speaks to her true identity, and she's confused about it. But then finally, as it goes on, then she says, so be it, according to your word. What, what does she say there? She says, I am the handmaiden of the Lord. So what happened was her confession started to line up with what he was speaking over her. If you want to see fulfillment in birthing what God's doing, you have to see yourself as God sees you. It's, just, it's, it's crucial. You can't, it's like I'm not going to step into what God wants for me in its fullness unless I start to see myself the way he sees me. I thought that was pretty good. I, I, like, I, I thought there was something on that, actually. <laughs> I felt like there was something on that. Because so many times we disqualify ourselves for what we think, you know, well, that's for someone else, maybe. They, I could see that happening with them, but with me? I know me, you know? If he, could be, if he, if he is for us, who could be against us? You know the answer to that? Mostly me. <laughs> Mostly you. <laughs> right? So, but, but, okay, let's back up then. So, so that's what happens. Your identity, it's, it's a whole thing about identity. The thing we love about restoring the foundations with, uh, with we got Claude and Yvonne here, the thing we love about their ministry is that they help, they help break down some of the lies so that you can begin to live in your true identity. Come on now. Hey, Shani. Come on. And so, so. Anyway, okay, let's go here. I, I gotta, we got the clocks ticking. How much time do we have left? Okay, we got five more minutes. Okay, here we go. For with God, nothing is ever impossible. Okay, now you need to understand this. I've shared this before, but I want to hit it again because usually when I share things, people think I never shared it before. But <laughs> there's a word there, and it, the word is nothing. And that word nothing in the original language means no rhema. Okay? And so to translate it in the original language, from the original language, it would say this. For with God, no rhema is ever without power to perform itself. I'll read it again. Think about, think about the promise that, that God's given us corporately. Harvest, revival, uh, move of God. Billion soul harvest. Think about, just think about that. Massive harvest. Massive what God wants to do. Like if you think of a billion souls, how many people live in the Winnipeg area? We're getting close to a million in the whole area, right? Getting close. I mean, we're a couple hundred off maybe or 150 off. They say by 2020 we'll be, we'll be uh, they anticipate it should be close, right close to a million the way it's going. But think about that. Think about Winnipeg. What would happen if all of a sudden you've got Let's just let's call it real low. Let's just say three hundred thousand people that come into the kingdom that get saved. 
I'm talking about babies that need diapers changed. You know what I'm saying? Like, like by the way, this is not going to sound like a maturity ward. It's going to sound like a maternity ward. It's going to be messy, folks. It's going to be, it's going to be like, it's, it's going to be all hands on deck. It's going to be like, you know what? I don't feel qualified, but I really feel like I'm going to, someone has to help this person. I, I'm going to have to help. We got to just start discipling. We got to start walking with people, maybe giving up some of our own conveniences so that we can avail ourselves to people that are going to need help, right? So anyway, so what would happen though, if let's just say 300,000 came in, our churches in Winnipeg couldn't handle it right now. I don't think they could actually. That's why we need to start thinking and seeing. So when that rhema, that word there, that prophetic word, that freshly spoken word from God, that's what rhema means, that freshly now word from God, within the word itself, the word, that, the, the rhema, the word contains the ability to perform itself. That's what it says. When it says no rhema, in fact, Amplified says this, for with God nothing is ever impossible and no word from God shall be without power or impossible to fulfillment. That's what it says. So that word, when you get a word on something, that word itself is pregnant with the purpose that it's called for. Like the word itself. All it's looking for is a little bit of agreement and a little bit of faith to come with it. And a little bit of obedience to come alongside. Like that's all it takes. It's as simple as that. Think about the words that you have on your life personally. Wow. Whew. All right. And then it says, behold. She said, behold. So, so I guess, um, actually I want to back it up. I want to make one more point here. We'll, just, we'll do three. So we've got, our, we've got our, our, our first love. We've got our identity. Because Mary says, Behold, I am the handmaiden of the Lord. May it be done to me according to what you have said. So then, he, then you go back, though, where it says, how, she says, how is this going to happen? She said, and he says, the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you. And this is a really cool picture. The word overshadow means as a mother hen would sit, first of all, on her eggs. A mother head would sit on her eggs. And under, the, under her wings, she'll tuck in the eggs like this. And she'll warm them, and she'll protect them, and she'll they'll be they'll be tucked in there like that. And then when they, then when they hatch out, then she'll be she'll sit there and she'll keep them warm as they're really really small, you know. So there's this picture here of this. It, it literally means overshadowing. The Holy Spirit will overshadow you. It means the Holy Spirit will actually sit on you like a mother hen. <laughs> wow. It's interesting because in Acts. Uh, is it Acts 5 or Acts 10? Acts 5. Acts 5, where, where it says that, they, that there were all these miracles happening and whatnot. And even so that Peter, they would put people that were, oh, there it is. Okay, it went off. The alarm went off. They would put people out in the streets. And in the streets, that even his shadow would, would he would overshadow them. That even his shadow, and if, if his shadow touched them, they'd be healed. And I believe that what was happening there was the same thing that was happening with Mary where it says, Holy Spirit will overshadow you. Well, how do I get the Holy Spirit to overshadow me? I'm so glad you asked this morning. <laughs> he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow and the wing 
of the Almighty. You can posture yourself, and that too has to do with, you know, that whole first love thing, right? You can posture yourself in a place and say, I want to be under the shadow. Lord, Holy Spirit, I want you to overshadow me. I'm, I'm, I am I'm, just want to be aware of that. I want to be in that. I don't want to stray over here, over there. I just want to, sh- hooey. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, was that Christmassy enough? And we know the story takes place and you see what happens is, um, you know, Jesus is born and, and that was his first coming. But I feel like those, those few points that we see there in his first coming will help us and posture us to live the way we should live right now before his second coming. I'm not saying he's coming tomorrow, he's coming in a week or two weeks or anything else. You know, somebody said to me just the other day, they said, well, everything's getting so bad. Everything's so bad. Look, Jesus must be coming back soon. And I said, yeah, but guess what? Read the book. It says that, sure, darkness may increase, but the glory is going to shine even better, even stronger, even brighter. So why would I focus on how bad things are getting? I want to say, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. You don't need light when there's light. You need light in the dark, right? Huh? But in him is light, and in your light we see light. Woo. So I guess, I guess um, we celebrate Christ's birth, especially this season. But I pray that this would be so etched on your mind and your heart. That, that as you're spending time with your families and you're like opening <laughs> gifts and you're eating turkey and doing whatever you do. Um, I, I just pray that every time you think of Christmas, you're thinking of that you're actually pregnant with a move of God. Just like Mary was birthing a move of God. You're, you're spiritually, you're pregnant with a move of God. God wants to move through you. He wants to move through me. He's going to move in our city. He's going to move in our church. He is moving and he's going to move. Amen? Amen.